Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 540 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Todd and Joe here with you. Todd, hello. Hello. I'm doing fantastic, even though I've done a lot of snow, but I'm ready to do a podcast about comics, Joe, and hopefully though we won't discuss any snow-related topics on this show. Well, I thought we called it Spectrox as code on this show. Ah, that is a good idea. White powder for everybody. That's right. <laughs> Texas tea sweetener. Ooh. <laughs> Powdered up anyway. donuts. What? Powdered donuts. That's what I want now. We, um, writing down the little time code of where I need to make my cut. Mm-hmm. The time code is the same as the episode number, so I'm gonna be like all confused. Oh, that's gonna be that's gonna be trouble. You might miss some marks there. Yeah, well, nothing incriminating was said in the the previous five minutes and forty seconds before I caught this. You know, that, that is true. And speaking of Spectrox uh, and cutting, let's <laughs> you know. But anyway, so we've actually got a busy news week. What? Uh very little in the act actual printed material of comic books not to say that there's not stuff to discuss like one of dc's most iconic characters not being written by his creator for the first time ever Mm. uh the return of a much loved book on this show and around the world that i did not need to be reminded (laughs) <laughs> that it's been two and a half years since the last issue of mm-hmm. uh, how you can eat your favorite comic book uh, <laughs> property, how you could sail with your favorite comic book property, <laughs> and how you could Netflix, I think, your favorite comic book property. Wow, that's a lot of comic book properties. That's right. Uh, digital books and sales, of course, what we read this past week, which includes Future State Superman vs. Imperious Lex number one and Department of Truth number five. Mm-hmm. What we're looking forward to coming out this week, Todd's Art Attack. Todd and Joe have issues which are related this week in a beautiful moment of kismet that made me so happy. Oh, I could tell. I could tell. And, uh, of course, our spoiler-filled discussion of the most recent episode uh, of WandaVision. Yes. All right. So, let's start off. This is the proverbial pulling of a Band-Aid in this discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, there had been a bunch of uh, auctions that were going up. Uh, I forget what they were exactly benefiting. Um, oh, it was uh, to assist in helping Bob Wyasek. Okay. Uh, Bob Wyasek, who did a lot of stuff at Marvel in the 70s and 80s. A bunch of creators got together to do a bunch of auctions and so forth 
to benefit him. One of the things that was purchased was an Al- an unpublished Alan Moore Gen 13 story. <laughs> that unpublished story was purchased by Brian K. Vaughn. I know that name. Brian K. Vaughn, when his name appeared on everyone's radar regarding comic books, everyone asked him the question that we all wanted to know, which is when he was going to be returning to the Tsunami line at Marvel. <gasps> I then, can't wait. What? I can't wait for that. <laughs> then they asked him, and I apologize, this is the clean show, but where the hell is Saga? <laughs> Uh, which there hasn't been an issue of since July of 2018. Mm. Uh, to which Brian K. Vaughn uh, put, uh, just to head off the comments, yes, Fiona <laughs> and I are hard at work on Saga, and we remain hugely appreciative to the four of you left that haven't completely lost patience with our extended intermission. Hard to believe as it may seem, I promise these new issues will be worth the wait. Yes. As soon as he gets done with that script, that reading that Alan Moore unpublished script, and after he's done with uh, Why the Last Man TV show, and after he's done with Buck Rogers, the first thing on his list is to think about doing more saga. He at least acknowledged it, Todd, okay? I like to think because I'm the like you know I'm the naive one on the show as has you know proven time after time. I like to think that he said me and Fiona have been working on Saga, so like they've banked a couple of issues. So when they do start, that he can like you know have a buffer in case he has to like you know write that Gil Gerard cameo of Buck Rogers episode, and like that comes first, you know. But well, I, that's the only thing. I, that's the only thing I would hope to, is that they have some some issues done. But I highly doubt it. They probably would have put them out if if they had them. I think they're. I I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're working on them. You know, right? Because I'm trying to figure out. All right, at least we know what Brian K's been doing. But like uh, Fiona Staples, I haven't seen her anywhere. On anything, I don't know if she's just waiting around, like I, in case, like in the in the starter block, waiting for the pistol in case she gets a script. Or, I mean, uh, the only thing I knew that she's done since Saga or during Saga was a couple issues of Archie, you know, by Mark Wade. Other than that, nothing I can think of. I know we had discussed this. She may have done a couple covers here or there recently. Okay. And when I say recently, I mean like. Year ago, ooh, so then she definitely has saga issues done. Um, she did <laughs> covers for the labyrinth book. Okay, um, that was going on at Boom, maybe. Fair enough. Was it Boom or who had that? Uh, we need a fact checker. It was written by Cy Spurrier. I don't know who the publisher on it was. I th- why do I think Boom had it? They might have. 
You never know. Yeah, someone let us know. But, but she she was doing covers for that, and that was the last thing that she was do- doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another project that was just recently announced, and I don't know how this one slipped through. Um, you know, obviously, because I guess they're this is one of those deals where they're like doing it digitally first. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Right. Um, yes, yes. So it's part of the digital thing. It's a DC series uh, entitled Let Them Live. Uh, unpublished comic co- cavalcade where it's a bunch of stuff that I guess just never got printed or it's maybe stuff that was pitched and that they have full versions of for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. There's only three that are being solicited so far. A Suicide Squad story from Jim Zub and Trad Moore. Nightwing story uh, from Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. And a Batman tale from Scott Brian Wilson and John Paul DeLeon. Now, the reason this pops up on our radar is, uh, with these, there's going to be a framing sequence uh, from Ambush Bug. That's going to be written by Elliot Kalan, uh, who's done stuff for The Daily Show and Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm -hmm. I think he wrote, like, a Spider-Man X-Men like, all-ages book at Marvel a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this may be the first time that Ambush Bug is being written by someone other than or without the direct supervision of Salty Keith. Yep, one of his creators, Keith Giffen. I don't know. I think I, I wouldn't count, like, him showing up, like, in a background or something. The only thing that I... Because I think during, was it 52, he shows up for an issue, and I think Keith wrote him there. And then everything else has either been miniseries or his appearances in, like, Legion of Superheroes. It was all Keith, as as far as I know. So, like, this kind of threw me for a loop because I, there's, like, two characters that I always equate to, like, their creator. And that was Jessica Jones to Brian Michael Bendis and Ambush Bug to Keith Giffen. Like, mm-hmm. literally, those are, like... Because for a time, they were the only people who ever handled them. Right. Go ahead. No, so it was weird when um, anyone other than Bendis would write Jessica Jones, which did not happen very often. Mm -hmm. And it was even weird when Bendis would write Jessica Jones outside of Alias, like when she would pop up in other things. Right. Yeah. Um, But Ambush Bug, it's... I guess I'm glad that someone is a DC editorial in 2021 is deciding to use him. Because mm-hmm. Ambush Bug is a fun character. Well, you know what? I guess Salty Keith's too busy finishing Inferior 5. <laughs> and that's I, why. How ironic would it be that Inferior 5 ends up being part of this project? Oh my god. <laughs> that would be so meta. If Keith was like, I'm in the Ambush Bug comic, but I didn't write Ambush Bug. Oh, he'd be even saltier. How can a man become more salty? Talking about all these white powdery substances on the show today. He could have looked over his shoulder at Sodom and Gomorrah as he was leaving. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so that just popped up because it's interesting. We're Ambush Bug fans. We're Salty Keith fans. Uh, some would say Ambush Bug is Deadpool done right, but, uh, you know. I would say that. At least some people's idea of Deadpool done right. 
Wait a minute. They both bro- break the fourth wall. Right. Do they both have teleportation abilities? Uh, yes. Deadpool, it's not part of his mutant ability, but he's got, like, a teleportation gimmick, uh, you know, thing that he uses that he stole from mm, someone. The Rob May. May. I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw any accusations out because that doesn't sound like Rob when making Deadpool would you know copy anybody else. Yeah, I, I've. Well, we'll get to it a little bit later on in the mid-show plugs regarding the Rob, but we'll get there. You know. <laughs> yep. Uh, so hey, uh, some casting finally came out. You know, I always get texted and direct messaged by folks saying. Mm-hmm. Not unlike people who torment poor Brian K. Vaughn about where Saga is. Mm-hmm. I get message of like, hey, how come you're not talking about the Sandman show coming for Netflix? And I'm like, I don't know. Did they make any announcements about it that we need to talk about on the show? And they're like, I don't know. I get all my news from you. So I'm like, <laughs> well, if I'm not talking about it. It ain't happening. Well, there right. was some news. Uh, they announced a bunch of casting just this past week. And this is where I'm going to turn things over to you, only because it's not full casting, one. And two, I don't think I know who any of these people are, which is good. Okay. I know that there are people who have been in things, (laughs) but I don't know who these people are. Right. So Uh, what are your thoughts on the casting? uh, The one that interests me kind of sort of the most is Lucifer. Who um, I can't think of. Uh, my God, I got the thing right here. Is uh, she played Christy? Yes, she played Phantasma in the Star Wars movies. She got the oh, short trip. She did. Yeah, she was the the, the silver stormtrooper lady that was after uh, Finn. Oh, okay. Yes, and she was also. Uh, but she will always hold my heart as Brienne of Tarth from uh, uh, Game of Thrones. She was fantastic in it. Um, so I'm fine with that because people are like, oh, Lucifer. But you have to remember, like, Lucifer was an angel in Sandman and they're kind of androgynous. So, like, I don't think, like, I, I thought of a guy for Lucifer, but then it's like, okay, then I have I have really no problem because they're sexless kind of a deal in the comic. And I think that works. And with the Lucifer TV show that they had, which as I love that they do when they do anything, um, it's like we have a we have a show, we have an idea from a previous property, make it a crime procedural. And that's what they did with, you know, Lucifer. So they're I think they're trying to get away from from that. That's interesting. Um the guy who played set who's gonna play Dream, Tom uh Stur- Sturridge? I have I have no idea who he is. Um, the girl who's going to be uh, gender bent uh, Lucian to Lucien. Um, I don't know who that is. Uh, the guy who's going to play the Corinthian, Boyd Holbrook, looks like he'd be a good uh, Corinthian. But the one that, like, uh, C- Cain and Abel, I don't know who they are, but the one, uh, Charles Dance, who's going to play Roderick Burgess, is uh, was fantastic. He was Tywin Lannister in Game of Thrones, and you may know him as the one of the villains from Last Action Hero, Joe. Oh, I knew I recognized him from somewhere. Right, you didn't actually know before I said it, not trying to be funny? No, I. the name sounded familiar. Right. But, but uh, he, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of out of touch with, um, you know, popular actors and musicians and so forth. Like, uh, when you said about Gwendolyn Christie's going to be Lucifer, I'm like, 
Well, I don't know if she's Captain Phasma. She ain't wearing a silver stormtrooper helmet in her picture there, you know? Right, right. <laughs> um, and like I said, I just thought he would be the one that you knew. You know what I mean? Because you're such a such a mark for uh, for what is it? Uh, the last action hero. But I'm I'm fine with it. I, the one that's going to be for me is going to be tough is when they do death. Like you better have that one right, you know. Oh yeah, and I'm sure there's a reason that that's not being rolled out as like one of seven or eight or nine or whatever this is, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's probably going to be, gonna be Je- a biggie. Right, that's going to be Jenna Coleman. That's who that's going to be. Is she a Doctor Who? Yes, she's a Doctor Who. She was Clara. Mm. So yeah, you know, so casting means we're a step closer to the show happening. Right, right. In this COVID-filled world, that's something, you know. And one can only hope. We'll, we'll and like I said, we'll get into some of that in TV talk as well. Um, you know, things happening in the COVID world. Um, but when the net, when the show comes out, the Netflix, the Sandman show. Hopefully, it'll be able to stand out amongst the glut of true crime documentaries that Netflix has seemingly turned into. What? The Night Stalker? And which I got no problem with. I love those sort of things. But, uh, you know, it, it feels as though you really don't get a chance to digest one when there's seven new ones being put out there a day. Right. And the tough one that's going to be to digest is going to be the Dahmer one when they get around to that one. Oh, boy. What? No comment. No comment. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Todd, uh, I'm sh- Todd had tipped me off to this one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this also, uh, I I saw it on the news sites, and I actually uh, got the survey because anyone could take it. Image is looking at 2022 of doing an immersive comic book convention on a boat. Ooh. Uh, they are going to be looking to do a cruise sometime March, April, or October, November. Uh, of 2022, uh, sending a survey to people on their mailing lists and so forth, uh, saying that they now have comic book conventions that float. Uh, ha They're going to be sailing out from San Pedro around the Panama Canal. Uh, ha ha ha. <laughs> oh my. Um, I don't know. Um, I've never been on a cruise before, and it depends on who they ended up getting to be uh, on the cruise and what the world looks like in March of 2022. Um, I, they had a bunch I, of like speculative prices there if you fill out the survey to give you an idea. Like, I don't know where that lines up with other cruises, you know? Right. Um, I heard that March 2022 is when they're going to have Brian K. Vaughn on the cruise to announce when he's <laughs> thinking about bringing Saga back. Oh, boy. But uh, if they do need a podcast to, to host things and MC things and be the official uh, image cruise, you know, podcast. I know of one that would do it. What do you say, Joe? Let's put our, let's put our hat. Let's put your John Cena hat in the ring. Well, I am already making a, a major move to see if we can get our established podcast on another network, mm-hmm. but they do have, they're gauging the interest Unpopular offering many things, including live podcast tapings. The one I'm concerned about is uh, sketch demonstrations huh. on a boat. It's like, what? I'm sorry, we hit some choppy water. This is what your sketch looks like now. Yeah. 
Well, don't worry. Those boats have stabilizers. Unless you're like in the middle of a typhoon, you're okay. I I hope so. Again, I've never been on a cruise before, so I don't know. It'd be interesting. Either have I. Either have I. So when we go, it'll be great. Right. Last but not least, Todd, I know you tweeted the other day that March 18th is going to be a day that is going to live in infamy around the world. (laughs) Yes, it is. But, Todd, if you could possibly hold out to April or May of this year, Mm -hmm. that day of infamy can be enjoyed with the Mother Box. Ooh. From Wonderland at Home, a new home immersive experience where they are going to have a Snyder Cut Justice League themed (laughs) meal. Right. Two or four people. Mm. Um, obviously, everything has not been revealed in this. But some it says uh, some of the items that you have available to us would be the Ocean Trench, which would be Icelandic cod and chips with trench dressing. <gasps> trench dressing. This is for me. I have a feeling that uh, trench dressing might be some leftover thing sauce from Denny's. Call it a hunch. Uh, <laughs> The Belly Burger, uh, an infamous fast food burger from the DC Universe, served with condiments. Mm-hmm. Um, two beers straight out of the DC Universe, exclusively brewed uh, for this. State shipping rules apply, of course. Wait and, a minute, uh, is it... coffee that's cold brewed coffee in a can served in a flash. And there's other things, snacky poos, uh... <laughs> Things that are entitled Resurrection and or Ancient Themiscarian Fire uh, that have not been revealed yet. You have to follow along, of course. And there's also a vegetarian option. Now, Todd, how much would you pay for this tremendous dining experience for you and a friend? Mm, I would pay all the monies. Well, that would include, uh, if you get the box for two... Two, uh, it's $130. You get no break if you go for the box for four at $260. Shipping, of course, notwithstanding. And uh, I'm just sad that they weren't able to, it says, scheduled to ship in April or May. Uh, You'd think you'd be on the ball to have this, like, time to coincide with the movie that you're having your prepare-at-home themed meal with. Let's just say this, Joe. The Snyder people will watch that movie 1,700 times. (laughs) So, like, the 1,700th and one time is going to be special because they have their mother box meal. You know, Big Belly Burgers, and you kept talking about coffee and beer that's brewed. Isn't the brewed from Marvel, like the the, the aliens, that? So I'm all confused about that. I don't know. I do, do, though, want to eat a – say I've had a Big Belly Burger – um, cause I've, I've, my whole life I've been able to say half of that, <laughs> but, uh, I'd like to fill it out and say, I've have a big belly burger and, you know, be all like DC. So I don't know. I think 130 is a bit much, but if I get the, I don't think there's even a price change if you get the vegetarian option. So I don't know. I just like that. It comes in a mother box, supposedly looking thing. Uh, if this wasn't attached to Snyder, the Snyder justice league movie, I would probably get this. I would probably get this, but I don't know. It would leave this would probably leave a bad taste in my mouth because it's associated with Snyder. Aww. 
Now, we have to kind of figure this out because obviously we had discussed that we are going to be watching this for the show, right? Okay, you keep flip-flopping back and forth on that, so I don't know. Uh, Well, wasn't it the last time I checked, wasn't it supposed to be released as like four-hour-long serials? And now it's just being released as one giant... um, I I almost swore. I got my one swear in for the show. Uh, (laughs) One giant mass for the show. (laughs) Right. I believe so. That it's four hours, you know? So. Well, again, I'm not flip-flopping. I think it was one of those things where it's like, I feel as though we should watch it for the show, but I don't want to watch it for anyone. Right. Uh, I don't know if I could spare four hours in March. Um, that's <laughs> well, a busy so this, month. Okay. So this is what we need to discuss as well. So, um, you know, we, we have uh, WandaVision, right? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's nine episodes. And that's going to lead us up to March 5th. Okay. Right. Does that include you taking into account that they put the first two out in yes. one week? Okay. Just making sure. Yes, yes. But I saw ads in my comic books this past week that said The Flash is coming back on February, like, 23rd. Right. But what do you want to watch? The real Flash or, you know, the one on CW? Okay. So (laughs) I want to watch the one that's on the CW, but I was shocked to see that The Flash was coming back because I didn't know things were filming and like I said, I saw the ad in the comic book that said the 23rd, IMDb and CW's website says March 2nd. Right, but like that, I'm pretty sure Batwoman has three episodes under her belt for the second season already. We kind of gave up, like Flash is no, grandfathered in, right? No, here's my thing, but you're saying like I didn't even know that it was, you know, whatever. I, that's the way I knew probably that it was coming back is because Batwoman has three episodes and, like, they're starting to roll a couple of things out and there's commercials for Walking Dead the next season coming in February. So, yeah, I was like, ah, oh, we're not that far away from Flash now. So I don't know. I just, I felt as though... Okay, so I think really what sprung it into my mind was it came up on the old Instagram this week that they're filming Legends of Tomorrow. Yes. And uh, that was exciting news to see. And I guess they. I also saw that starting very soon, if not already, um, the full cast, including um, Carl Urban, is doing the next season. They started filming the next season of The Boys. Yep, and what storyline they'll be doing there. Well, that I didn't want to get into. I, nope. I'm like, uh, that's too much information. You know what I mean? That's enough information. Because I remember we did a story a couple months ago that traveling restrictions and whatever else were so strict that they were looking at do it. Like, how quickly under the gun that they were going to be with all this was were they going to have to film a chunk of season three without him? Right. I remember you even saying that, and that didn't seem to fit with me. But, uh, yeah, so I saw him on online where he's you know was flying to wherever they were doing it and he had his mask on and everything and also i don't know if you know this and it's not much of a spoiler but cw like all the the showrunners and everything said that they're just not even doing their crossover this year because it's 
because it's physically impossible. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like because then you have to you have to cross you know uh, pollinate all these shows with actors coming over and you have to have COVID tests. It's like let's stay in our own little box so that way we don't have to like mess anything up. And if something happens over there, it doesn't hurt things over here. And I'm like, you know what? That makes sense. And I'm willing to give up. A, a crossover, especially coming off a crisis of the, on Infinite Earths last year, let's let's dial it back and and get to the heart of each show and see how that works, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I just thought you'd find that interesting. Yeah, so it's 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 just more so that I don't know um, when it's actually debuting because, like I said, the print ad said the twenty third. Uh, the CW site says March 2nd. Either way, it's going to get a little knotted up there, like where Vision is going to cross over with the Flash. And then Flash is going to cross over with the Justice League four-hour thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the thing. Like, if you re- if we really want to do Justice League, um, th- it doesn't have to be the day it comes out. I mean, that's going to be there for a while. You know what I mean? Like, we could do a down week and or something like that. But if you want to do it, like you know, hot on the heels of it and get our big belly burger too, or I don't know, whatever. You know. Let's see how it looks when we get closer to that date you know uh yep. however many weeks away from now that is you know yeah we have a little cushion so yeah we got about uh if i do my gazintas <clears throat> excuse me we got about seven weeks in a walk up on that one so all right plenty of time to think about it mull it over that's right and while we're thinking over uh that decision you could think it over and spend some time over at soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com where all the shows in our network of shows go whenever they come out or people on those shows appear on other shows and they let me know that they're on those shows, they appear over there as well. And shows in the network, of course, include this show, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Wednesday Night War, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, and Porch Talk. Hmm. Porch Talk making its long-awaited return. Uh, I'd been on hiatus for a few weeks due to the uh, inclement weather. And uh, <laughs> I'm just glad that you guys got one in before uh, it really got cold out there. That is true. Yep. You don't want that snow falling on your porch. That's right. And your talk. <laughs> and your talk, sure. Uh, also, check out our local comic book store, Comics on the Green. Uh, they do a brisk mail order business. Uh, you know, obviously, once the world opens back up due to the snow year, <laughs> a lot of things closing down the world lately. When one thing looks like it's going to open up because of something else, they decided to shut down the entire eastern s- seaboard with the snow. Uh, but check out his deals, check out his sales, check out his uh, subscription list. If you don't have a good comic book store or a comic book store, period, in your general area, uh, the f- good folks at Comics on the Green will put together a pull list for you and mail those books out to you. Sometimes you might even see a fancy uh, drawing from our friend Becky on those packages. You could check out a lot of the art that she does over on her Instagram page. You could check out friends of the show that have their own materials that they do, uh, whether it be Chris Runt's Battle Monsters, uh, Rick Williams, uh chop shop where he does those cool resin figures or jason sandberg's jupiter comic book uh resin figures comic books like i said all that stuff is in the show notes with every episode of this show here Mm -hmm. 
Uh, some of the digital sales going on this week, Todd, uh, include Marvel having sales on uh, Star Wars Legends stuff, which is like the old stuff that they did back in the 70s and 80s that they took back from Dark Horse and is now theirs again. Uh, Black Panther stuff and Miles Morales stuff. Uh, Dark Horse has a sale on Black Hammer stuff, which is really good. Uh, I recommend that. Uh, Titan's still having the Tank Girl stuff. Archie's still having the Riverdale sale uh, going on. And DC is having a Black History Month-themed sale. And I think this might be two weeks in a row where Dark Knight Returns and Batman Year One are not included in any sales. Are you going to be okay? I'm going to be okay. I just think someone is uh, following along to the show and uh, figuring out what we're up to. Gotcha. Yes. So, like I said, those are all in the show notes as well. Be sure to check all of those out if you are a digital comic book purchaser. And we're looking to try some new and interesting things. All of those are fitting that criteria. So let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Uh, And that would be... Uh, starting with Future State, Superman vs. Imperious Lex, uh, written by Mark Russell with art by Stephen Pugh. Pugh, Pugh, Pugh. <laughs> right. Um, yes, this is one of those Future State books that is, you know, multiverse kind of a thing, you know, have fall, uh, coming out of uh, de- uh, Death Metal. Was it Death Metal? Dark? Yes. Right. Um, but this basically is, there's a world, like a, like a federation of planets and uh, basically Lex Luthor, who has his planet of Lexor, which if you're a Silver Age kind of thing, you know that he actually had his planet back then, wants to join. And Lois Lane's part of this thing and she's like, no way. And then Superman shows up and he's like, well, uh, I think I know why. Uh, he wants to go. It's because these he wants to join. Is because these robots of his are just marauding the the universe. And he gives like the story of what's going on. And everybody wants to make sure Lex Luthor doesn't get in. Um, but then something happens, and there's like a, a twist at the, at the end. Uh, I, I liked this book because um, it ma- it made me realize like back to Wonder Twins where Lex was the villain but i think lex was very there was like a he was light in this book for a book that's called imperial like superman versus imperious lex there's way more superman than there is imperious lex and i don't know i don't think the the stuff landed with him as much i just don't i also don't think in the certain world that we're in that the things that he's making fun of are kind of funny anymore. So I don't know. It's, it's weird. I wasn't really blown away by this. And once again, in a world where, uh, you know, these things, we, we kind of say, we don't want to say they don't matter in story wise, but maybe they don't, I don't know. It's just kind of, I was like, yeah, it's, this was probably one of my least favorite, uh, Mark Russell projects that I've read. So liked it. Agree with you, might be one of the least favorite things. Maybe the expectations were too high coming into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do feel is the reason we have so little Lex in this is that we have to go by what everyone else is saying about Lex to form our opinion of Lex. Mm-hmm. Because I think we are going to see a little bit of a role reversal in this. Obviously, things are being set up. It's Lex Luthor. 
those drones that he has are evil and so forth. But, you know, it's it's very much what Doctor Doom has done for the people of Latveria. Lex has done for the people of Lexor. Mm-hmm. Where they probably see him in a much different light than the rest of the universe does. And we need to know how the rest of the universe sees him first before we get issue two, where we get all the good things that Lex does. To raise the question, is Lex doing this because he's actually good? Is he doing this to stick it in Superman's craw? Or is this all part of some other larger scheme? And that's kind of what I could hang my John Cena hat on, as that, okay, there's enough of a, not so much as a mystery, but at least some question. And let me ask you a question, because I read this. Is there a part of you reading this that you, that Superman isn't on the up and up about everything? Yes, and that's what I'm saying is okay. Superman definitely feels as though he is presenting the the facts that he wants to, to okay. the council. He's not presenting all of the facts. He's presenting the facts that will tell the story that he wants to tell. Okay, that I get what you're saying. To me, I just think he's straight up lying. And I don't know, it's weird because there's a couple of moments where he has, where we've said Mark Russell writes one of the best Supermans we've ever read. Yes. You know what I mean? And in this, obviously, it's a future state and things are different in all these books. I just, I'm like, okay, he does a few moments where I'm like, yeah, that's the inspiring, cool Superman. But I don't know. I don't yeah. know. For the first time, I'm thinking you, you, you're you're writing a straight up lying Superman. So I don't know. Like I, I'm interested in seeing where it's going because it's two issues. Uh, it's not like I'm gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna drop out after the first one. I'll see how, if he could stick the landing. Now I'll I'll just say this. So I listened to a interview with Mark Russell, um, mm-hmm. in regards to this, and I know you're saying that it's two issues, and I know it's solicited as two issues. But he seems to think it's three issues. You know what? It might it might be because I've seen in certain checklists that there's a third issue. Yes. But I but I never saw one in the previews, if you know what I mean. Well, DC Neither doesn't did put I. Up. So I don't know, you know? Yes. Um so and so there there's a lot of confusion, I guess. Uh in that interview, Mark Russell also said that he was kind of vague in regards to where this would have fit into things before it became a two-month event. But he does say that it definitely does not fit in with any of the other Superman stuff that's happening in Future State. Right. My take on it might be that because Suicide Squad Future State came out this week too, um, that that's like a, I don't know if it was that one or another one, was like a $5.99 extra length book. I wonder if they're going to jam-pack two issues in Superman versus Imperious Lex and you know what I mean? And do that. And it'll be an extra expensive, but I'm actually curious now that you said that to see what they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like I said, it was good. I liked it. Not the best Mark, uh, Mark Russell thing that I've read, but uh, still liked it. You know, he writes a good comic book. I'm with you. So the other book, that we're reading here, uh, discussing here, is Department of Truth number five, which is the end of this current story arc. Um, so next time that we talk about this, it will be full spoilers, ahoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the um, follow-up to the previous issue after Cole, who was recruited by the Department of Truth to work for them, is confronted in his own house by the Black Hat. Um, mm-hmm. 
the person who has been kind of pulling the strings with all the other stories that we've seen going on, uh, whether it be an Alex Jones type character in an issue or uh, a straight up parallel to the Sandy Hook incident parallel. And we get more information as to who Cole Turner is, why he was chosen by the Department of Truth. And much like, but to a much grander scale than we saw in the aforementioned Imperious Lex for Superman, much more shadow and doubt cast upon both sides of the coin, the Black Hat side and the Department of Truth side, uh, or at least an attempt by the Black Hat to cast dispersions on the Department of Truth. No, I'm with you. That's my... my mo- Two things about this, because I was interested in the whole thing when Black Hat comes to talk to Cole, the agent. I'm like, okay, it's one of those, like, hey, maybe, let's just say Black Hat gives his uh, version of events. And he's like, now you kind of figure out what you think is real or whatnot. But my thing was, I found this interesting because, and brought it up to talk about too a little bit, was, like you said, this is the last issue of a five-part trade which is going to be which is weird to me because i always in my brain i have six but it ends up you know in an interesting thing for this to be the ending of a trade do you know what i mean yes i found it fascinating that like all right this is how you all right works for me because i'm loving the book but i just found it a weird quick like i don't know there was like no big cliffhanger moment at the end cliffhanger like the important stuff happens throughout the book I don't know. It's, it just seems like a weird ending to me. But like I said, I'm willing to to read all of it. So, because so, um, this, you know, I this there was a proliferation of the early to mid two thousands of writing for the trade, right? Mm-hmm. Where you feel as though it's a story that someone could tell in one or two or three issues that gets stretched out to six issues because we got to put six issues in a trade. This is the better end of writing for the trade because so many of these single issues have ended on a cliffhanger, their own individual cliffhanger, where you read issue one, you want to see where that picks up in issue two, issue two, issue three, right? Now we have these five issues collected together. We needed something that was a big enough of a cliffhanger, and I know you said that it wasn't, but I think with the reveal of Black Hat, and I think we could talk a little bit about this, so... Where Cole Turner's character comes into it was, um, you know, he's a child of the 80s and in, you know, popular culture, the news during that time was the uh, advent or the start of the satanic panic using, you know, devil worshippers in your hometown, you know, could be anyone who worshipped the devil. Mm -hmm. And it was a whole thing of like teachers were being accused of this. There were kids that were being uh, not... I don't want to say hypnotized. I don't want to say being coerced, but saying these sort of things. And it was a huge news story at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of teachers lost their jobs and a lot of bad things happened to a lot of people. And on, you know, on teacher side and on these kids side, they had some sort of traumatic incident in their life. And this is how it manifested. This is how they revealed it. This is how they explained whatever it was that they saw. So Department of Truth kind of takes that and gives it a real face a you know a tangible thing mm-hmm. cole turner saw that as a child the reason he decided to join the department of truth was the promise of being assigned that specific case to find this specific thing mm-hmm. in this issue that gets dumped on its head 
Right. So when you put these five issues together, everything kind of flows together as a narrative, even though you have your in-between beats of your in-between cliffhanger things, but then you have a big enough cliffhanger here at the end of issue five that if you read it all together in the trade, hopefully that will implore you enough to pick up issue six, which wouldn't you know who won the pony in the classic image styling that trade comes out the same day as issue six. Which I do, image is all over that. I just want to say one thing. You do know the satanic school slash, you know, whatever, like that story about Cole's youth is based on a true story, right? I just said that, yes. Oh, I thought you were just saying that part no, of the No, no, it was a real thing. And Well, gotcha. that's the thing. So, so much of what's in Department of <laughs> Truth is based on real things that happened right. in our, you know, recent history and they just kind of take it and twist it or maybe not say a name or like a city or you know they say enough that you know exactly what they're talking about no no no. i got you I, i'm well aware that it's based on a real event that happened in the 80s in the united states but the fact that in the book they mention it but they give it a real tangible face with that creature my 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 bad. I, I no. was just, you know, trying to take it all in. And that's part of the, the beauty of the book is, like you said, is that you, you're reading it and it's like, all right, well, now in this episode, they touch on the reptilian under the Denver airport thing. And it's like, even they're like, man, this is an obscure one. Like, this is a crazy one. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I've heard of this and I can't believe there's people out there who believe this kind of a thing, you know? So it's, it's, that's the best part of it is like the touch of truth of the fake conspiracies kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I didn't, ex- I don't really explain what I mean, but I believe that they give, when I say a cliffhanger at the end, I, I didn't think it was a strong cliffhanger in that they reveal a lot of what the cliffhanger is. And in the end, somebody's just going, well, here's all the stuff that we said kind of a deal throughout the issue. Now, why? And I'm like, do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, well, why this? And I'm like, well, I you know, that to me is not a cliffhanger. It's it's an interesting story, but you've revealed it all through the issue. I don't know. So that's, I'm not, by not wanting to spoil anything, I can't really drive my point home. So I'll let it be. I get what you're saying. I, mm-hmm. I get what you're saying having read the issue. Right. But I just feel as though the stru- the structure here kind of, pushes you know the way that image kind of writes things in the better way of writing for the trade than ways writing for the trade has been done in the past you know right 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 so that's what we read this past week let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week uh if you head over to longboxheroes.com uh you will find the pull post which goes up every tuesday around noon eastern time which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week whether you get your books in print whether you get them digitally whether you wait for them to be a concept that dc eventually puts out in a teaser book digitally be <laughs> forewarned be forearmed know what's coming out this week um todd and i attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week we are currently knotted up at four correct guesses a week Will this be the week where there's some sort of movement or something or other in regards to all of this? Right, right. I will ask you, Todd, what is redemption number one? Redemption is, and it's not the American Wrestling Association, it's that AWA comic company. Okay. And it is a book written by Chris, Christy, Krista Faust. 
and drawn by Mike Diodato. And uh, I'll just write, read you the first line of the, because I knew you were going to ask me. The dusty desert town of redemption survived the apocalypse, but is hanging on by a thread. A despot rules the town with an iron fist and controls its most precious resource, water. When the strongman, when that strongman marks her mother for death, young Rose uh, ventures into the perilous wasteland to seek help of the legendary gunslinger Cat Tanner, only to discover that the so-called butcher is long retired. I just, that's I could go more, but I don't want to give too much away, you know. All right. That being said, I still think the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Immortal Hulk number forty-three. It is not Immortal Hulk. It is. Oh the- no. It is basically a, uh, a Western apocalypse. I do love uh, Immortal Hulk, but this is something that's up my wheel in my wheelhouse and is something new. You know what I mean? Like I get jazz for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and Diodato doing this. Oh boy! So that being said, is the book you're looking forward to most, Immortal Hulk? It is. Okay. <laughs> All right, so look at this. You trying new things. Yep. You know what? Immortal Hulk was my my book to go to for like 42 in a row. So right. I figure I could change one up. Let's mix it up. There you go. As I mentioned, this would be the time where uh, things get unknotted, if you will. Right, right. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, whether it be past episodes of this show. Past episodes of After Dark. Let's say that Rob Sir Recaps is on a little bit of a hiatus. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Jeff John syndrome, whereas <laughs> when I take on one new project, another project falls by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And that new project that I've taken on is the return of Todd and Joe of Issues. So reading an extra three to four comics a week has severely cut into my podcast listening time. Mm-hmm. Which is fine, um, but it just, you know, uh, the Rob kind of just gets shuffled to the bottom of the playlist. Right. That's because you're reading the D- the Spider-Man stuff, too, again? Yeah, of course. Okay, well, I don't know. It might You might have an eidetic memory and remember it all. I don't know. No, no, let's not go crazy. Right, right. I read it, and a lot of it comes back to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, I remember this. I remember this thing happening. I'm the same way with the the ones you're reading too. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's been a while since I read these. So but, uh, uh, let's start, I guess, with uh, talking about the Jonah Hex stuff, eh? Okay. Uh, so again, we have Luke Ross return as the artist for both the issues. Uh, I talk about the um, their single issue storylines. Really, nothing kind of connects directly from issue to issue to issue uh but obviously we're seeing a little bit more i think stuff popping up here that we're going to see more of in the future or at least things being referenced to especially in issue six right um so oh sorry no i said right so jonah goes to a town called salvation um and of course the town of salvation much like many western towns in this uh time of stories being told are under uh, constant attack from the Apache. They have a flag system, of course, in place to alert people of when things are good and when things are bad. Jonah surveys the town, um, and he 
notice that there's no marshal, there's no deputies. He's trying to figure out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And he runs into uh, a young lady, uh, Lily, <laughs> um, lady of the evening, if you will. Right. Who tries to persuade Jonah with her feminine wiles, but Jonah's having none of it, strangely. Um, you know, obviously the mystery is more uh, something that he wants to solve. And then a nun comes into the room that they're in together, a young lady by the name of Evelyn, who Jonah knows, who has a history with. Mm-hmm. And it's at that point that it's found out that the sister Agatha, who is in charge of the nuns, is the one who is in charge of this town with an iron fist. They find out Jonah and Evelyn. Evelyn is accused by Lily of attempting to have relations with Jonah, so they are both going to be burned at the stake in the middle of the town square. And, uh, you know, things go awry for, at the very least, Agatha and Evelyn. And, uh, you know, Lily is now owed a debt for uh, her actions. Right. Did I cover all that uh, as succinctly as I possibly could? I believe so. Nice. So I'll say I liked this one. Okay. Because we're getting other characters than Jonah, not to say that Jonah's not an interesting character, but we're getting more characters that he has a history with that we don't know of. Mm -hmm. But they give you enough of the history in these issues that we want to see these characters come back, whether it be chronologically or that we get stories from different time frames of like, okay, you knew Jonah knew Evelyn 17 years ago. Maybe we're going to get that story at some point. Or it's just going to be a throwaway line. But Mm -hmm. with these characters and the relation and just little bits of information like that, that's enough to add pathos and enough to add um, a reason to care about these characters' relationships. Right. Um, Basically, the way I equate it is, even though, like, if you just read this issue... That even in a you know a one one shot done that like Evelyn and Agatha and everything are fleshed out just enough to that you either care or hate them. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's I I do believe Graham Palmiotti did a wonderful job, and this is one of my favorite issues because I do get goosebumps when Jonah saves you know uh, Evelyn for a minute and then he kisses her and what goes down is like and it just snaps him. He just snaps and he gets up and literally I like the way the, the issues have the little like uh, title cards for scenes. And he just looks out at the person who did the deed and he's, and the title card is a cult in the fist of the devil. And he just goes to town. And when he gets, when he gets done, he goes in to grab Agatha. And this is one of my favorite little parts. And Luke Ross does a beautiful job of like cinematography drawing these issues. He goes in and all the all the kids jump him because they're trying to save her. And he just starts smacking them all around. He's like, and he comes out with Agatha and he's like, get your brats off me before they get hurt. And they're like, that's, you know, Mother Superior. And he just throws her down in the dirt and steps on her head. He's like, no, she's a killer. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, in that scene, it just shows that like Jonah ain't here to play. You know what I mean? And after what happened to Evelyn, it's all, it's all really good. I don't know. I just, this is one of my favorite issues. And like I said, Luke Ross will always, always, always be one of my favorite uh, 
Jonah Hex artist. So luckily we get him for one more issue. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's okay. Uh, one more it. issue after seven here or no, the, the seven that you're going to read. <laughs> so uh. you just read it. So this is uh, a story entitled uh, One Wedding and 50 Funerals. Uh, We get a bit of a big to-do at the beginning of the issue where Jonah's taking out a bunch of dudes. We don't really know what's going on. Um, Jonah runs out of bullets, and we get a guy who kind of says to Jonah that his luck just ran out. And then we go one week earlier where Jonah is at the wedding of Peter and Margaret Decker. And he is just kind of hanging there because uh, after the wedding, he and Peter have business to take care of in El Paso. And it appears as though there is a gang of bandits or what would you call these sort of folks in uh, a Western sort of tale? I'm not a Western sort of guy. Outlaws. Outlaws. There you go. Uh, Led by a gentleman by the name of Brian. Uh, who apparently was betrothed to Margaret before she decided to marry Peter. And not only does he kill Peter, he also steals the shotgun that Margaret had gifted him on their wedding day. So Mm -hmm. now Jonah is on his mission to get that back. Mm -hmm. Um, Jonah, of course, does uh, in a really cool shootout, uh, a cool way that he ends up taking down uh, Brian, where he has the uh, sheriff's star inside of his jacket that he throws like a ninjutsu throwing star <laughs> right into the dude's eye. And uh, again, I'm reminded that this is a um, not an all-ages comic, but it's not a Vertigo book. It does not have the comics code on there. Uh, but Jonah, very graphically, for a comic book in 2000, whatever this is, pushes the star into the guy's eye after it's thrown in. Uh, Jonah comes back with the shotgun with the guy on the back of his horse, but he is too late as Margaret has poisoned herself, uh, obviously due to the grief of losing her husband and the turmoil that she has caused to so many folks. Right. I like this one as well. Again, we get a little bit more uh, difference with the storytelling. Uh, Luke Ross, uh, I I know that you said this is the last issue that he has. But he's not drawing Jonah as overtly as Clint Eastwood in these issues. Right. So that's really the only knock against these books. <laughs> uh, but, I, and again, even further still, I like the way that this is colored. You know, this is um, the Jonah books to date are typically colored in a much more drab and grays and browns sort of way. But this issue, you know, you have the whites and the pinks at the weddings. You have the big oranges and reds for the fires and explosions at the end of the uh, the issue. Um, I really like this issue a lot as well. Good. I'm glad because I was worried as you were reading some of these, you're like, you know what? Kind of repetitive. You know what I mean? Well, but- like I said, it's it's something that a story like this could fall into. It's like Jonah has a bounty on someone, goes and does whatever he has to do. Yes. Right. But the one the one thing that I do like about this issue is that it kind of spirals. It's like, okay, I'm here for to take the the groom in for a bounty. But then he finds out then the the the, the husband gets killed, but he takes him in. He's like, oh no, he looks like the guy. And now he goes to get that guy and he ends up that guy gets killed and he ends up with the people in the oil town. It's like it just keeps going. And he's like 
he's like, son, everybody who's touched that gun is dead. You might want to put it down kind of a deal. You know what I mean? And I'm like, it's kind of cursed. I'm like, okay, this kind of zigs and zags all over the place. And I just think like, you know, it's fun. I don't know. For me, I I think you might know I'm a bit of a sucker for Western. So I'm kind of glad at least that you're enjoying them so far. Absolutely. So should we get to the clone stuff with me, Joe? Yes. Okay, so the the one that you gave me to start with was Spider-Man 52, um, which starts out with, uh, in the past issue, Ben Riley has decided that he's going to go after. He doesn't understand why Peter has never taken down Venom, and he's like, oh, it's time for me to go to do this while I'm here. So he ends up going and finding this Ken Ellis guy who's a reporter who was the one we saw at the church that uh, uh, Brock got uh, – with the symbiote he's been following him and he's like okay can you tell me where he is and he's like he's like luckily i have a lead on this this person well you want to be spider-man and i'm like okay that's that's kind of cool and he's like well i got a lead that he's at this like what is it the the sky cart i can't think of what it's called like a cable car kind of a thing he's like he's there um that's where he's last seen and he ends up going and they end up getting in a tussle and uh, then this other Venom person shows up. That's the one thing that I'm not 100% uh, on. It's because they say you're from the Life Foundation. This is all stuff I don't understand. You know what I mean? So it's this other symbiote, but he's like, oh, I'm here to kill Carnage, and you're you know, somebody else. I got to clean up all my messes, so you're dead too. And, uh, you know, like in, in the, in the run, in the, the, the bustle, he ends up separating this female symbiote who I don't think has a name in this issue, even the next issue. I don't think they give her a name yet. And he ends up, you know, uh, separating them and losing them because they fall in the water. But in the process, Ben Riley gets ripped to shreds and he ends up the, one of the cool things that I do like is he ends up, uh, webbing up his injuries, which I've never seen before but i don't read as much spider-man as you uh so i thought that was kind of cool that he was like all right i just have to have this hold but he ends up fighting and you know and and saving some people along the way even though he's out of touch uh, and i do like the fact that and i've had other people tell me this that they always like the idea of ben riley being like what's this with uh, Venom, like, why doesn't he just go do it? Where Peter has that stigma, that scare, like he he fought him before and he's scared of him and what he did to Mary Jane, and everything. That, but where Ben is just like, I don't care. Like, this is just another psycho. I'm ready to take down. And he goes, but he's like, you know what? Maybe this guy's a little tougher than than I thought. And I didn't realize that Venom was this crazy at any time. Like. <laughs> Because I'm reading Venom now with Brock and, and uh, you know, like this whole, like the Donny Cates run. And he's he just seems bona fide off his rocker in these issues. So um, it's weird to see this Venom, especially being the lethal protector Venom and everything. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was a fun issue seeing Ben Riley do some stuff and, and, and starting to get into the into the realm of, you know, the Scarlet Spider. But like I said, I have to ask you, because it happens this issue and next issue. Is there any point during this run that he doesn't, oh, woe is me, I'm the clone. I'm a fake man filled with fake memories. Like, does that get old fast for you too? Uh, Okay, that's in my notes. Uh, 
Yeah, so Ben is very much, woe is me. He has no self-confidence. He's barely a man. Um, mm. That does pivot later. Um, you know, obviously we've discussed this at length before that the, uh, reason that this storyline is made was that it was going to be revealed that the Peter that we had been reading in the book since 1970, whatever up to now, that that Peter was really the clone. Mm -hmm. And this Ben Riley was the real Peter from the sixties. Right. Mm -hmm. So obviously he was led to believe that he was the clone soonish we start to get those bits and pieces of him being you know the real peter right right because something happens in the next issue that i like but okay so you see what i'm saying that issue, I, other notes that i just want to mention here so the lady venom has a name even though they don't say it in these issues her name is scream she was one of the five symbiotes that were created from the Life Foundation in the very first Venom miniseries, Lethal Protector, um, by the people from The Raft, which is, like, not Ravencroft, but it's, like, some other... It was the high-tech the high tech prison for, for supervillains. Yeah. So they decide, like, hey, we have guys in armored suits fight, fighting villains. Why not have guys in like symbiote suits fighting villains too, right? And that mm -hmm. worked out poorly. Oh, shocking. Uh, so this, you know, this woman obviously she has the symbiote in her, and a lot of what we see in this issue and the next issue is that the symbiote's talking to her. Not unlike, you know, the venom symbiote talks to venom and the carnage symbiote talks to, you know, carnage and so forth. And she was just like a normie like police person who now is having the, these weird dreams and being told to do things and push yourself and so forth and is looking to Venom for assistance. But since Venom is crazy, he's like, nope, got to kill you. I'm sorry, even though I'm a good guy in my other books. If I'm showing up in a Spider-Man book, I got to be a crazy person who murders. Right. Um, and that's the thing, because she's becoming overwhelmed by the other. So yes. yeah, that that's that's kind of the thing. And the other thing about the last thing on this issue is, um, it, he uh, Ken Ellis, the reporter, ends up. He's like, oh, when he's talking to Ben, he's like, if you if you get Venom, he's like, and you stop, I want an interview with the two of you. You know what I mean? Blah blah blah. And Ben's like, blah, whatever. And he just kind of leaves. When he leaves, Ben Ellis, Ben Ellis, Ken Ellis is like, hmm, blah blah blah. Fake Spider Man, Scarlet Spider. So he's the one who's coining the phrase Scarlet Spider. And I can't remember now because, you know, I've, I've read a couple of these issues. Was he called the Scarlet Spider before this? No. On any of the covers or anything like that? Like, okay. I was just curious. I couldn't remember because, like, in my head, he's always the Scarlet Spider. I'm not realizing that they're not calling him it yet, if that makes any sense. Right. They're not calling him anything yet. He's just, right. you know, we're calling him Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is uh, Ben using the uh, webbing to, like, heal up his wounds, essentially. Not unlike, like, pouring super glue into his wounds to keep them closed. Usually you would see Peter as Spider-Man kind of, like, fashion himself like a sling. Or maybe fashion right. himself like a cast for a broken bone out of the webbing. I've that seen that. Of, yeah. But I've but never seen, see like here and then the next issue as things kind of come along where ben starts to do his own different unique things with the webbing mm -hmm. to set him apart from peter right 
Um, so, and that's when we get into web of Spider-Man 119. Um, he's busted up from last issue and he's at his apartment, wherever he's staying. I'm not wondering if it's a hotel or apartment, doesn't matter. And he's calling on the phone. He's call- he's like, I need help. And he's calling a C word trainer, I guess is the person's name now. Um, because t- cut to, you know, the whole issue, this person never shows up. You know what I mean? So I don't know who he's calling. Is this someone in Spider-Man lore before this, or is this a name that I shouldn't know? Nope. This is, um, so we will see, uh, as we get more of Ben's backstory fair enough, and the, fair the missing time going- that this was the person that was like his confidant. Okay. My thing was, I was just curious if it was a deep cut Peter Parker character that I didn't know, you know what I mean? Nope. So, I will learn as that comes. I just yes. wanted to get that out of the way. Um, so he ends up, you know, calling that person and he passes out while he's on the phone and a, a person who's renting a room or whatever, they're living in the building is a name girl by the name of Gab- Gabriella Greer, I think. Yes. She ends up finding him, takes him to the hospital but because he's got no insurance. They take him like to the, to the dirt hospital. You know what I mean? And he the gets free clinic, pa- right? The dirt hospital. So he gets, patched up blah 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 well this is going on uh, venom from his run-in with uh ben riley he's on the look for him and because luckily all the you know the past couple issues of the book everywhere he goes uh because aunt may he goes to aunt may's house well he goes to peter parker's apartment but he's not there because he's off doing peter things or being with aunt may he goes to uh MJ's not around, so he gets mad at that. He goes to Aunt May's house, which I didn't know the Venom symbiote could make a key to a door with his Venom goo, which is kind of cool. So he's like, and this is where I get he's a little more crazy. He's like, uh, whatever happened to the family unit kind of a deal? There, Nobody's around. And I'm like, okay. While this is going on, uh, what did you say her name was? Scream? Yes, uh, the, 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 the uh, Lady Venom. She's following, you know, like people to see uh, clues and stuff like that. And she ends up hooking up with uh, Peter at the, uh, P- Peter Ben at the hospital that he's at um, because he's trying to get away from Ken Ellis as he's coming in. Cause he hears that somebody's in the hospital that fits Scarlet spiders description. He goes, so Peter's like on the run or Ben's on the run. He's like, I don't want him to see him. He goes on the roof. He ends up fighting with lady venom. And this is the one part that I like. She kind of, Fighting like, oh, I need you to help me find Venom, because uh, he's going to help me with the others. Like, lady, you know, he's not the guy to go to. He's a bit off his rocker, and so Peter or Ben does these moves, and he ends up going under the ledge to hide from her, and she ends up losing her mind, smashing stuff, rocks are falling, and Ben goes, and this is the the kind of cool part. This is where I could see where it's going to be the turn where he goes, man, I. And he has to stop like the falling debris from hurting people. And he's like, you know what? This is shades of Ben, uh, Uncle Ben. I walked away and I should have been more responsible because, you know, with great power and all that. Um, uh, and I'm making the ba- I'm making the wrong choices like Peter did. And I like that moment. It shows like that he has the memories and for the fake person that he is, these memories are real. And the important things are sticking. And he's like, all right, I have to 
to go fight. And because of that, I'm not going to run anymore. I'm going to go. And he ends up finding venom at the end. And he's like, like, I'm going to take you down. And I find it, uh, funny. And then I'm going to get to one last thing. He's like, at the end, it's like, I'm going to take you down. And the next line is the first and final battle. And I'm like, Ooh, is this going to be the last, is they're going to kill venom? Because I know Scarlet Spider stays around for a while, but I guess Venom's dead after this because they never fight again. So there is one thing that I forgot from the previous issue, right. where in the battle with Venom, Ben has the internal monologue that Venom is faster than I thought and twice as insane, right. which was a great line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's just one of these deals where you know, Venom, uh, spoiler, Venom isn't killed, but this is like the last time that these two players touch. Right. But the way they're setting it up is like only one can walk away kind of the deal. I find that amusing. And I mean, you're, I'm reading this book 20 some years later. You know what I mean? Now, okay. So there is one other thing that you missed, or if you said it, I'm going to bring it back. All right, go ahead. To, to, you know, the guy, the, the guy, not the one that had his parents killed in the fire, different cane. Um, basically, they cut to a little, like, you know, subplot where these mafia guys are like, oh, we have this person, you know, trying to move in on our territory and we need some help. And he's like, Kane, you know, you're going to be the one to do it. And they're like, you're not listening. He's reading a page, he's like totally engrossed in this newspaper. And in it, um, he just Kane just snaps and he's like, I don't have time for this. And apparently Kane's powers are to make the sound tick. And then like, I don't know what happens. I'm not really 100% sure because he makes that sound and the chandelier falls. And then he makes that sound with his fingers pointed towards a bunch of people and they all die. And as he's walking out, he's like, I, you know, I was going to do this, but something more important is coming up. And that's the fact that Ken Ellis has written a story about the Scarlet spider and he's on the cover of the, the newspaper. So apparently Kane wants to have a little chat with Benny. So you know who Kane is? Nope. Okay. Um, so in the previous issue, in Spider-Man 52, they did a thing where, uh, as Ben was going through whatever, they're like, oh, and there's an unseen observer to what Ben is doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are we getting Kane this early? And it's revealed that's that Scream, right? Mm-hmm. I go, okay, that's right. We don't get Kane this early. And then like the next issue, it's like, oh, here's Kane, where we don't see what he looks like. We get some vague stuff about him. Uh, obviously, there was something in that newspaper. Maybe it was the box scores, and it just so happened to have Ben Riley on the cover. Right. He won a bet. He's got to go collect from his bookie. But this issue, the Web of Spider-Man 19, this is like the most, you know, setting up the Ben stuff. Like, we get the thing with the call to Dr. Seward Trainer. We get the introduction to the neighbor, Gabrielle. We get the introduction of Kane. So this is more of... You know, if we remember from the last time that we read Webb, it's like, that's where Betty Brant was. And, like, he's like, oh, I remember Betty Brant. Those are memories I have. And in this issue, Webb was a little less of the I'm barely a man sort of stuff and more of the let's start establishing Ben's separate um, supporting cast and rogues gallery and whatever. Right. The life Ben led after the clone moment. Right. And the life that he will lead going forward. Right. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So what are you thinking so far? Um, 
I there's things about it I really like. Like I said, at the impact webbing in this issue, which you we didn't bring up. I like that. I is this the first time we saw impact when webbing? Yes. Okay, so I like the idea that in Ben's world, he has had time to invent stuff where Peter hasn't. Like, because that's the one thing I always like the story where Peter goes, he's a he's an inventor, but I never have time. Like, I invented the webbing, and I'm a smart kid, but I never have it. So it seems like with some downtime, Ben got to do some stuff. Um, and like I said, the stuff with the Uncle Ben, the with uh, Scream, he's like, ah, oh, with great power. Like, I like little bits of it, and then there's bits of it that is so 90s it hurts. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I'm with you. I'm like, I could see how the story would work and be good. Um, we haven't gone off the rails yet, as long as, I, like you said, I don't have 30 more issues of, oh, always me, I'm not a man, fake bot, you know, I'm a, just a vessel of someone else's memories kind of a deal. But I get how Ben is cool, like kind of cooler, and we haven't gotten a lot of Peter in his own life, so I can't wait to see the train wreck that is the spider as we go on. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you're enjoying it. Next week... Uh, still two issues of Jonah Hex, right? Believe so. Uh, if yes, I have the yes. Gazentas correctly here, it's issues eight and nine, but it's only one issue of Spider-Man, uh, to be reading. It's Spider-Man, uh, issue 53, which is the conclusion to the Exile Returns story arc. Right. And this does happen a couple times where we get like two issues, two issues, two issues, then one. Two issues, two issues, then one. We're going to get to a point where it's like a one-er, one-er, a one-er. But, you know, we're going to get there when we get there. Um, If you want the whole schedule for both, I can give you the whole schedule for both. Just send me a message. Um, But, you know, if if you're following along, you know. Right. And my thing was... When you had one, like, as it goes on, I tried to do the, the, the lineup of my list where you had one issue, I would try to have two and where, you know what I mean? Like try to do it. So we didn't have four or five issues at the same episode. So it doesn't always work out, but that was my, my gist of things. So we'll see. For sure. So while while you're over at longboxheroes.com, uh, of course, checking out the Todd and Joe Have Issues stuff, be sure to check out our store information where you could purchase shirts and stickers and pins directly from us. If you want even more items with more things inspired by this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Add Odds with Wrestling, and Final Wrestling Place, you could head over to our T Public store next week. Because that's when the 35% sale is going on. Don't buy this week, buy next week. Uh, You also want to support us. You can check out our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You get two bonus shows from Todd and I. One discussing previews uh, 30 years ago to the month. Kind of looking what the comic book industry looked like then as it's starting to grow and pop eventually. And also six never-before-seen films. Uh, starting off with Dick Tracy for this month. Uh, the dollar folks will be getting that this upcoming Friday. $5 and up folks get these shows two weeks before everyone else. And they also get After Dark a couple days before everyone else as well. And there's a couple other uh, fun, goofy tiers in there as well for you to check out uh, as well. Mm-hmm. You can also support us by clicking on our Amazon banner at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. Does not cost you anything extra. 
Uh, it is an advertising fee that Amazon pays us for referring you to them. Uh, and especially with Jeff Bezos stepping down as CEO from Amazon, I think they need all the purchases and help they can get. And that's what we're here for. We're here to help the little guy. Right. Uh, some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include Loctite brand super glue. Uh, I'm more of a gorilla glue man myself. Anything that has a picture of a monkey on it is an instant purchase uh, when making a decision. Uh, am I buying the cereal that has a monkey on it or no monkey on it? Am I buying the shoes that have a monkey on it? Am I buying the glue that has a monkey on it? And the answer is monkey. always yes. That's right. Monkey glue. That's right. Uh, somebody also purchased several of the Expanded Universe novels uh, in the Star Wars, uh, what have you. We have Phasma. Uh, wasn't uh, that's going to be Lucifer in the, in the Sandman show? Yep. Uh, Canto Bright. And uh, Journey into Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Force Collector. And somebody also purchased the Funko Pop albums, Diorama-rama, <laughs> of ACDC's Highway to Hell. That is a smart person. That's right. If only I knew to purchase these things through an Amazon click-through and not directly from the manufacturer myself, I might already have these things. There you go. Uh, so Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did have two art attacks this week. Um, from Rebecca's art, she sent in a lady and her kitty by Rebecca. And I like this picture because that cat is one content and happy looking cat. I can't put into words how like, you know, lovingly and like, even though they can be little miserable creatures, that's a happy little cat, Joe. Uh, another another pick from Rebecca where we're seeing the process. Uh, we're seeing a little bit heavier ink lines in the foreground of things as opposed to the background of things. Mm -hmm. uh, and how much just that is adding depth to this 2D image. I love it. Right. And also from T-Bolt712, he's like, hey, Todd's Art Attack, this is a pretty timely page from Spider-Man 52 by Tom Lyle and Scott Hanna. Scarlet Spider, Venom, Scream. See, I didn't know that. I was thought they were screaming at each other. Word balloons <laughs> on the page. This page has it all. I love the Exile Returns arc as a kid and was thrilled to pick up this page many, many years later. That's actually fantastic that he has a page that we're uh, – you know, discussing this week. And uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so is this one of those things that you're going to try and steal when you get a chance? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, printed on the official paper, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you see the all, what does it say at the top? All bleed art lines must extend to solid line. Uh, it's stamped with the Spider-Man stamp that they had a stamp for all these books because we're too lazy to write out what the title is. What? Uh, Speeds up. That's right. He he mentioned all these characters and action and word balloons, but he also forgot to mention that it has Thwip Thwip on there. Oh, you know why? Because it wasn't Gusha Gusha Gusha. <laughs> uh, but this is a really nice page, and strangely enough, um, I think, the and I, I would never decry a colorist, of course, doing their job, but we're 25 years on. I think the coloring kind of takes a little bit of the the oomph out of this page. Um, I get what you're saying because I have a Luke Ross page mm 
uh-huh. on Jonah Hex, and I think like that the shaded pencils work way better than the col- the colored pages. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think everything looks great, but the, truth be told, though, Joe, when it comes to art, I'm a sucker for the uncolored stuff because you could see. Uh, that being said, of older stuff, because usually the artists put more detail into the art back then and the coloring was flat where we joke that like colorists are modern day inkers now that a lot of times the art will be flat and they'll let the colorist put in the depth and, you know, texture and everything. So like art has, that's the way art has changed in the last like 20, 30 years to me. I'm in agreement with you. Like I said, if, the little bit of art that I have, I go for a black and white as opposed to something fully colored. Right. Yes. Uh, so thank you everyone who contributed anything to the uh, Todd's Art Attack. If you have something that you yourself are working on, something that you've purchased, something that you have commissioned, or something that's in your collection that you've never shared with us before, be sure to tag Todd's Art Attack with it on Twitter and we will share your work with the rest of the world. So I think that's everything. I didn't forget anything this week, did I? I don't think so. (laughs) Okay. So we are going to get into discussion of the latest episode of WandaVision. So if you're not watching or you do not want it spoiled, we bid you adieu. Thank you very much for listening. Episode 540 of Longbox Heroes. And we're going to take just a brief moment for me to take a drink of water. And write down the time. So uh, let's get into it, man. Yeah. Uh, episode four of WandaVision. And this is, I guess, more or less everything that's been going on in the background of the previous three episodes. Yes. Um, we start off, of course, with uh, being introduced to Monica Rambeau, who we know from the Captain Marvel movie. And this is where we learned that she was one of the people that went away the in what they call the snap when Thanos uh, got rid of half of the world. And I thought it was the... called... Oops, sorry. I thought it was called the blip. The blip. My apologies. I call it the snap. They call it the blip. Not That's fine. Snap is better. But they, but everybody else in the world didn't know that's what happened. But the snap is better. I agree. Um, but when the Avengers defeated Thanos at the end of Avengers Endgame Part 2 and everyone came back, they all essentially lost like two to three years of their life, mm-hmm. including Monica. Right. Uh, Monica's mother is the one who had founded S.W.O.R.D. And... Do are we supposed to know who the guy in charge of Sword now is? Is he someone from Agents of Shield, and that's why I don't know who he is? That that guy I don't know off the top of my head. He might be a regular Marvel character, but that one I don't. Have so, any idea. Uh, obviously, most people would have assumed that she would have been the one that takes things over. Uh, obviously, with her being away, this is something that was put in by her mother, uh, essentially to ground her, which is a cute little pun or whatever it is. In many series uh, uh, of the word. Um, however, she is then called in in conjunction with the FBI. And we're introduced to Jimmy Woo, 
who I think this is the introduction of him, he was not in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. previously, correct? Right, but here's the thing, because I watched this with uh, the fancy gentleman, and I was like, oh, Jimmy Woo, Jimmy Woo. I was like, I, 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 I'm enjoying this character. I know the character from certain books, blah, blah, blah. And I'm discussing him like this is his first appearance. I find out Jimmy Woo is the FBI agent who put the ankle bracelet on Ant-Man in Ant-Man 2. Oh, okay. So he's been around for at least Ant-Man and the Wasp. He was the one. And I, I found this out later, and it's something that, that happens, is... Do you remember when like Ant Man was leaving the house and this and that he was shrinking down so he'd get out of the 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 uh, the ankle bracelet and Jimmy Woo shows up and he's like, you know, we we thought you left. He's like, but you're here. And he's like, no, no, no. And he and Ant Man's like, he does that sleight of hand trick and makes a card appear. And Jimmy Woo's like, I know your secret that you have a secret. I want to know how you did. And he's like, what? Like, cause Ant-Man thinks it's that I've been leaving the house, you know, without, with, with help. And he goes, how did you make the card appear? And that's one of those things that happens later when he meets Monica Rambo in the flashback, he makes his FBI agent card appear and hands it to her. It's this, cause he learned it from, from uh, Scott Lang. So I like, this was all stuff I did not know. Um, that I had that I ended up finding out online afterwards. So yes, uh-huh. Jimmy Woo's been around in the Marvel universe, right? But he would also go on in the comics to be part of Agents of Atlas, which I don't think they're going to get into here. But obviously, introduction is a bigger part of the greater Marvel universe. Mm. Um, they're they are investigating a missing persons case. Well, he's looking for so, yes, a missing person in that one of his uh, what do you call it? witness relocation relocation people has disappeared. But so is a whole town, <laughs> right? Because even though they're standing in front of a sign that says Eastview, they're being told Eastview doesn't exist. This is Westview. Other way around. Oh, okay. Other I I knew it was one or the other. Yep. And. There appears to be some sort of bubble, invisible, around the town that no one can get in or out of. They attempt to fly a drone in, and the drone just kind of goes off the map. Um, Monica uh, ends up going in, and she's gone. So now, FBI, S.W.O.R.D., everyone else has built a shanty town around it. They're calling in just random scientific-type folks to try to figure out what's going on including from the Thor films, uh, Darcy played by Kat Dennings. Right. I think she was in one and three, but not two. I think she was in one and two, but not three. There you go. I know she was only in like two out of the three. Hey, mm-hmm. listen, I'm all over the place with some of this stuff, right? Right. Uh, so they're bringing in all these folks and she noticed that there's a, cosmic microwave background radiation thing going on. Mm -hmm. And as they're trying to pick up whatever that frequency is or whatever, she asks one of the people there to bring her like an old timey tube TV. Mm -hmm. And from that, that's how these folks, uh, including Darcy and Jimmy Woo and everyone else there picks up the previous three episodes of WandaVision that we have seen. Right, and as that's going on, all this, the freaky stuff that's been going on is them trying to contact Wanda inside the 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 sitcom or whatever. You know what I mean? Right, we had the bit. Woo. 
Yeah, Jimmy so we had the bit the from radio. episode two where mm-hmm. they were by the radio and Help Me Rhonda is on the radio. And that's when Jimmy Woo is trying to speak to Wanda through the radio. And that's why we got that little bit of weirdness in episode two. Right. Uh, it's also at this point in them in episode four watching episode two that they see Monica is now there acclimating herself into whatever's going on, trying to blend in. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we get here? Them trying they, to speak. Oh, go ahead. They sent in, they sent, they figured nobody can get in through the, 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 the shield or whatever's around it. The, 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 you know, the protective field or whatever. So they try to send somebody in underground. That turns out to be the beekeeper coming out of the manhole cover. Right. And, and- This is also where they, the sword folks, talk and say, listen, we're watching Wanda Maximoff and Vision. Vision's dead. Mm -hmm. Like, what's going on here? Right. Why is this being looked like a sitcom? Why is it changing? What They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're trying to get in to the bubble. They're trying to contact Wanda. They're trying to contact Monica. And obviously we get to see a little bit more of that interaction with Monica, Geraldine, and Wanda from the end of episode three. Right. We get to see that missing scene where when like she confronts her, she's like, you're that you're from sword kind of deal because she has the necklace on. Then when Vision comes through the door, Geraldine slash Monica is gone already. So this is that missing clip. And I'm going to say this, Joe, because they did it last week and I forgot to mention it. In those scenes when reality strikes in WandaVision, in Wanda's world, and the the aspect ratio changes of the TV and they make that sound, I get goosebumps. I get physically, like, ill watching this. I'm like, this is wrong. And it's like the the... The intenseness of that scene, and he she throws her out and knocks her out to like obviously the ending of the last episode, and then she puts she she's sitting there, and Vision comes in, and Vision looks like the dead Vision for a second, and she shakes it off, and then the ratio goes back with that noise into that happy-go-lucky sitcom music, totally freaks me out every single time that they do it, even though they've only done it twice, <laughs> both times. You're right. Uh, so, yeah, so, again, we see, uh, obviously, what happened in that missing scene, as you mentioned. We also see a scene where reality is starting to creep in, and Wanda sees Vision as, you know, the way that we saw him last in an Avengers movie, dead. Mm-hmm. With the soul gem ripped out of his head. Right, mind gem. Mind gem. Again, I'm all... <laughs> Sorry, I, geez, these are the things I remember, and they're not No, listen, I, you gotta correct me on this stuff. Right. And I will say I, I like really enjoy it. They go back to their fun loving life after that. Um, I like the idea of them watching them and they have the whiteboard. They have the Rip Hunter whiteboard uh, because they're figuring out who all the people are in the town who are the actors. And once again, we still don't see the neighbor's husband. So like, I think somebody's in there kind of controlling things a little bit too. And I'm wondering if it's the witness relocation person, like maybe they're a criminal, like a Marvel villain that's doing it. I don't know, but there's some stuff on the whiteboard. Like, is it scrolls? Why is it? Why is the, the field shaped like a hexagon? And I'm like, all right, these, these are all really cool. And I want to see if like we get answers to that. 
And then I just want to say, because my the thing with the creep with the aspect ratio creeps me out. The blip scene in the beginning to see the chaos of people coming back, that was intense to me. That was like the other intense moment. Like I was just like, all right, when I watch them, like I need a second. You know what I mean? Like that was just a crazy episode. And then my mind opens up to, I feel all the bad for all the people who blipped back that were in a plane when they left. Cause is the plane still there? Joe? Oh. No, it's moved. So there's a lot of people falling out of the sky from the blip, I think, or I don't know. What if you were driving in a car and now you're on a busy highway? Just, oh. just weird the, stuff. A lot of pop- questions. It's like that, you bring that up uh, it makes me ask a lot more questions than there are answers to. I agree. So I'm trying not to go down to too many rabbit holes. But uh, this, once again, and this is the episode to everybody who poo pooed, like, oh, um, and a couple people we know, and I just, I just find it amusing is like, oh, this, this is a slow running show. And if it wasn't Marvel characters, you, we wouldn't give them the leeway that they got. I'm like, yeah, but you could say that about a Brubaker book. If it doesn't hit three, three issues, you're giving them the leeway because Bru, Baker has earned that three issues. You know what I mean? Um, right. I think this is the turning point where now we're out and explanations are being had and Marvel stuff is really coming in and it was only three episodes and i'm fine with that out of nine we we hit the second act that's the best way to put it as far as i'm concerned right and i had mentioned earlier in the show of course and i'll mention it here just in case um that uh i have fallen behind on the rob's podcast of course right but i still follow the rob on twitter and he had brought, he had tweeted an article because he is a big proponent of the show. He really likes mm-hmm. uh, WandaVision. Uh, he had cited that he really enjoyed that miniseries way back in the day. Uh, but he kind of qu- uh, tweeted out an article that says, WandaVision isn't too slow. We've all just forgot how to watch TV. That is true. We've become spoiled with the binge, man. Yes. Whereas we we need this whole thing told to us in a weekend, mm-hmm. yeah. Which I, at times I like the weekly rollout, man. You know what I mean? I do too. But as someone who very rarely has time for the weekly rollout and is trying to make time for a four hour movie in seven weeks, <laughs> I get you. You know, I, I saw my brother this weekend. He's like, "Yeah, I just watched episode nine of Cobra Kai," and I'm like. Still haven't watched another episode since those last two uh, a month ago, or those first two a month ago, you know? Well, you know what? You've watched way more Cobra Kai than I have. Right. Uh, But I really like this. Um, You know, if for some reason you were watching WandaVision and you weren't digging what was going on in those first three episodes, this is the episode that is going to move it, as Todd said, to the second act of everything. Mm -hmm. And you would mention about all the mysteries and the questions and everything else like that. Somebody's in there manipulating, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So we, as the viewers on those first three episodes, saw those weird commercials. Right. We know they, in the show, at the sword shantytown that's built up, are also seeing those commercials as well. Because one of them plays in the background as they're discussing things. Right. I don't see that any of those were up on the whiteboard, but we didn't see everything on the whiteboard. Right. I assume that those also are clues that are going to help them figure out who these people are, who the missing person is, and so forth. One other thing, and I think I mentioned this either last week or the week before, 
uh, in discussing this Kitty from that 70s show. Mm-hmm. She shows up in episode one as the boss's wife, and then she shows up in episode two as uh, just a person in the crowd of the talent show, right? Right. So somebody on Twitter, and again, I'm doing my best to avoid spoilers, avoid everything that's going on. They don't get a chance to watch these episodes the minute they drop. But I just saw somebody ask, was Agatha Harkness in, or Agnes Harkness in WandaVision? Mm-hmm. And I said, huh, that's an interesting question. I go, I wonder if she was. And then, Todd, wouldn't you know who won the pony? That's the character name that Kitty plays in the show. Oh, okay. She, Agatha Harkness, is the one who, in the late 70s, early 80s, is the one who teaches Wanda how to better harness her powers to be able to do more with them. Oh, okay. So, does that mean she's going to have a bigger part? Or is this just a name that they recognized from a previous story and just threw her in there? I'm I'm going to kind of lean to the former... And we're going to see her have a bigger part in all of this than we'd initially thought. I think so, too, because she's a named actress. You know what I mean? Right. A named recognizable actress. Exactly. They don't don't throw somebody like that in for a bit part, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm still, like, with other people, I won't say I created this, uh, this um, you know, theory. Um, other people have had it. It's like, I think this is all leading to... Um, you know, the X-Men and Fantastic Four showing up and also leading to like with the scroll thing is it the scrolls on the whiteboard. And that was the way, you know, Far From Home ended, had a, a post credit scene with uh, Fury and the scrolls. I think this is all leading into uh, Secret Invasion somehow. And I stand by this, all the rumors and talk of uh Chris Evans coming back is he's going to come back as a scroll. He's going to come back. And everybody's like, Oh, caps back. And then he's going to die. And he's going to turn into a scroll. And I also believe that's the way they're going to bring Pietro back as Quicksilver. Like now that we own it all, it'd be like, Oh, you know, just before I got shot by all those bullets, I was taken away by a scroll and Hey, I'm alive now. So it's going to be like, who's going to come back and who's going to be fake and blah, blah, blah. But that's a weird out there theory, so we'll see. I like that. You know, obviously a lot of more a lot more people are kind of pointing toward House of M sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Since that was a Scarlet Witch focused centric storyline. Right. Um, it really could be anything at that point. Your how I like your uh secret invasion storyline better. Right. And I just want to say I'm all about House of M because I would just love to see her be like, you know what? There was something before us and there was all oh, these things called mutants and also, oh, um, something about a space race and trying to get into space and then another country and all of a sudden just fly the flag of Latveria and you will hear me from Wilkesbury. <laughs> you will hear me. You'll be like, oh, Todd, just watch that scene. So that's all I'm going to say. That's as far as I'll go. All right. So I'm excited for more uh, WandaVision as we had discussed, of course. Uh, you know, the tail end of WandaVision is going to kiss up to the uh, return of the Flash. So uh, we'll have to figure out. I think we'll end up when we do the TV segments, when Flash comes back, we'll do Flash first and then save WandaVision for like the very, very end. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of make it easier to clip for me when I'm putting everything together. Hey, you clip however you want. Yeah, I can let you borrow my ringtone maker. No, no, I'm good. I'm on top of it now. All right, all right. 
All right. So now for real, thank you everyone for listening to episode 540 of Long Box Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying, see y'all next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.